Hello, everyone, and welcome to Myth, Heresy, and Hearsay, Episode 6, The Road to Scotland. We last left you in Greenhead in Northumbria after our Hadrian's Wall adventure and said farewell to our Northumbrian friends. We waited for our driver, not knowing if or when he would show up. The Brits are pretty punctual, but what about the Scots? Seeing a vehicle looking a little bit confused as it drove up told us that our ride had arrived. David French, a very friendly and affable guy and very Scottish, would not only take us into Scotland and the hotel we'd be staying at, but also to my ancient clan castle, as well as some sights along the way. We stopped at a mall where we found a Swedish candy store that was going out of business and everything was half price. David had a sweet tooth, but only for dark chocolate, as it uh, seems. I, on the other hand, stocked up on the European candy as though there was no tomorrow, or even a weight limit for our trip home. David took us out to the countryside where the lowlands were. They looked a lot like the highlands to me, but what do I know? But the thing that most caught my eye was at the Carlisle Castle. There, we encountered the Cursing Stone. What's that you say? The Cursing Stone. It seems there was a 16th century priest who cursed the reavers in the lowlands for all eternity. It was quite a work of art a large, shiny boulder with said curse engraved on it. And a little history might be in order here. So allow me to digress just a bit to the morning we were leaving Greenhead before our ride showed up. Gary Sterling was the proprietor of the Blankensop Castle Inn, the day before had heard us talking about us going into town to get some laundry done as we had begun to sniff each other to make sure the shirt we had just put on had only been worn once. So Gary offered to do some laundry, a service they don't normally do there, but when Gary offered, we were thankful that he had. The next morning, as we waited for our friend David French, I dropped by to pick up the laundry and was chatting with Gary. I mentioned that we were going to visit our ancient clan's castle in Johnstone, to which Gary Sterling replies, Oh, we Sterlings, we killed a lot of you Johnsons back in the day. I actually remember stifling my response of, Yeah, if you were lucky proving to me that 500 years on a continent away, old clan rivalries and pride were still alive. I did stifle the response. I thought it bad form to insult a man while he was handing you your laundry that he had just done out of the goodness of his heart. He must have noticed this and softened the conversation by saying, yeah, those were bad days, really bad days indeed. 
As we were both nodding our heads in agreement to this, we said our goodbyes. So what did we mean by that? The 13th century through the 16th centuries were very, very rough times. Nowhere more so than in the lowlands of Scotland. Only the strong survived these times. The Reavers, as they came to be known, raided and stole neighboring clans' cattle. Clan warfare was at its height. They would often raid into Northumbria as well and cause havoc there, but had no compunctions about raiding and destroying each other's livelihoods. People didn't see a reason to even plant crops since the enemy clans were just going to burn it down, along with your castle if they could. Winters were hell. Starvation was prevalent. So, back to this cursing stone. The priest in question cursed these reavers for the chaos they caused, cursed their land, their ancestors, and their descendants. Murdering bastards was the nicest thing said on this cursing stone. On the cemetery floor of this rock were engraved the names of the reaver clans being cursed. And I couldn't help but notice that the family name most mentioned was, in fact, the Johnstones. Didn't see any Sterlings there, Gary. And now, why should this be a point of any kind of pride for me? When we hear our ancestors came from a group of some really rough people that we puff out our chests with some kind of pride, like when someone finds out their ancestors were Vikings. We tend to get real proud, not thinking about the fact that these same Vikings were nothing more than murdering pirates with blonde hair. One thing I could have told my friend Gary is that not many clans ever got the best of the Johnstones. The Maxwells sure didn't. Neither did the Moffats. But we will get to that when we get to our castle. After the cursing stone in Carlisle, David dropped us off at a nice little pub slash restaurant. And we had our first meal in Scotland. Yes, another classic pub slash restaurant. You might be noticing a pattern here. I know the wife sure has. We then go on to explore the castle that my ancestors called home for several centuries. I was pleased to see that it was in good shape. Scotland has a government program to refurbish and maintain the larger castles. And another program for the smaller castle where anybody can buy the castle. You do own it. It is not a lease, but it's kind of like an HOA in that you cannot do anything to change the ancient look of the castle. It was fenced, and a very nice blue sports compact car out in front, otherwise like being in its heyday. I was surprised to see that the castle was in a very decent-looking residential area. There was some serious juxtaposition going on here. With the ancient castle standing next to the modern-day houses. 
I had to wonder if this was the same castle that the clan Maxwell had burned down, or if that one was the one in Annandale Hartwell. The Johnstones of the Maxwells had a blood feud that went on for about 700 years, a feud that made the Hatfields and McCoys look almost tame by comparisons, though I would never say that one was tame. The two most powerful clans in the area went from heated rivalry to outright hatred. At one point, the Maxwells had captured the, John, the Johnstone's clan chief and let him languish to the point where he could no longer walk. He died there, and the wound began to fester. The Johnstones hated the Maxwells, but it seems the Maxwells hated the Johnstones more. They hatched a plan to completely exterminate their rivals with the intention of erasing them from history itself as evidenced by their burning of said castle and all the genealogical records. They planned on an ambush with their 2,200 men and allies, knowing the Johnstones only had about 400 at their disposal. Luckily for the Johnstones, a distant relative who had married into the Maxwell clan was working in the kitchen the night everyone came to nail down the final plans. He dropped everything and hot-footed to the Johnstone clan chief with what he had found out, and the Johnstones set an ambush of their own at a place called Drife Sands. The massacre that ensued was so complete a victory for the Johnstones that the Maxwells never again commanded the authority or respect that they had once enjoyed. It was said the clan Maxwell chief died in the mud of the marsh, begging for his life, but there was no mercy on that day. Terrible times indeed. I sometimes think that if this battle had gone the other way, I might not be here to do this podcast. So my apologies if at times it seems I am not a completely objective observer. Now, there is more to this story, as the Maxwells don't take this lying down. I have veered away from the narrative a bit, but for good reason. After David French drove us away from Johnstone to where we stayed for the next couple of days at the Cross Basket Castle, I was pleasantly shocked at this place. Our travel agent had booked this place and I don't think it was so expensive as to be out of our price range, but this place was five-star all the way. If you do happen to stay in southern Scotland, this place was great. And we were treated like billionaires. Kylie remarked that she liked walking around pretending to be so. After all, who would really know one way or the other? Elegant was a word for this place. As elegant as the food was at the Cross Basket Castle, on the second day there, I wanted to explore some of the Scottish suburbs to see how the other half lived. I mentioned we had been living as billionaires for the last day and a half. We got a cab and 
told him to take us to a local restaurant of his choosing and learned that uh, not all Scotsmen spoke with this beautiful Scottish accent that you hear in the movies. Although I could not understand a single word this man was saying, he definitely did us a solid and took us to a local place called Corrigan's in the suburbs near Glasgow. There we enjoyed a waiter with a sense of humor, mothers having dinner with their teenage kids, and some really great food. I'm always interested in the styles of young people eating with their parents. Most were rocking a bit of a gothic look, which I found interesting. Different, but familiar at the same time. To finish up on the clan wars, about 10 years after the battle at Drive Sands, the Johnstones attempted to reach out to the Maxwell clan chief, the son of the clan chief who was slain in Drive Sands, to try to put hostilities behind them. They were to meet at a neutral site and no one was to bring a weapon. The young Maxwell chief anxious to avenge his father and show his mettle as a clan chieftain, brought a small pistol and used it to kill Chieftain James Johnstone. Hostilities began anew. Twenty years earlier, the young man would have had no problem with getting away with this. But there was a new sheriff in town. James VI, King of Scotland, had become... James I, King of England, and had had quite enough of this bloody clan business. For too long, the Scottish kings had had to play one clan against another to keep any semblance of order. But this was over. The young man fled to France for a time, only to return some years later, and was captured and brutally executed to make a point. As I said, King James didn't have to play that game anymore. Although the Johnstones had always been loyal to the kings over the centuries, there were still some who didn't play well with others and were imprisoned, shipped off to Ireland, or worse, the American continent. I am not sure if the Johnstones had any conflict with the Armstrong clan, but from what I hear, they were the worst, the absolute worst. At one point, King James VI tried to parley with the Armstrongs to see if he could bring them in line. These Armstrongs showed up wearing these ridiculous colored outfits that were the 16th century version of gangster gear. They were so arrogant and disrespectful that instead of trying to come to any agreement with them, he arrested the clan chieftain. After James became king of England, he got rid of all the Armstrongs, sending them anywhere he could, Ireland, but mostly America. I don't know if there's any truth to the rumor that when the king was pushing the boat out of the harbor to their new destination, 
that they asked, but sire, where will we go? And he replied, I don't care if you go to the moon and back. I want you to kneel, Armstrong. Ironically, about 350 years later, the first man to walk on the moon, you guessed it, Neil Armstrong. Now, is this just a rumor that I just now made up? I don't know. To finish with the Johnstones and the Maxwells, they did finally make peace. They got together for dinner and an official end to the hostilities in a convention center in 1984, making it one of, if not the longest-running blood feuds in history. That's good. Now I don't have to feel guilty about drinking the Maxwell House coffee. Well, there was a lot of hot air in this one, and plenty of myth and hearsay. Next time, I will try to get more into the heresy part. Thanks for listening, and cheers. Cheers.